0: And Welcome to Jim Strader Outdoors. This is obviously our number two of the broadcast. Tonight we're talking about food plot management, plantings, how to spray, what to spray, how to feed it, how to fertilize it, you name it. We're all over it. And I got my partner at Wildlife Habitat Solutions, Shane Butler, on the line. With me and the numbers tonight, if you have questions about that or anything about the outdoors, calls at 571 8484 or 1 800 444 8484. Shane, here in a minute I want to return to that uh, planning situation for cleaning up fields, but we got Mike who's been on hold since before the break. Hey, Mike, welcome aboard.
2: Hey, good evening, guys. I hope you can hear me okay. I'm traveling, and I uh, hope i got a decent connection with you. Um,
0: we can hear you just fine.
2: Good deal. Appreciate it. Um, you guys helped me out a lot a few years ago, and I'm sure you won't remember the call, but uh, I had a very heavily wooded tract of land that I came across in a inheritance, basically, and I cleared some of that out uh, and planted some... Uh, plots out there and that's been very successful but I kind of you 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 piqued my interest tonight Jim by mentioning mineral licks earlier and I've always thought maybe I could put some mineral blocks I'm not a hunter I don't hunt but I I love the deer out there and I'm wondering if if you could help me understand if I wanted to put some of those artificial mineral blocks out it's about 120-some-odd acres. Would, would that be of any use or any benefit or or, or not?
0: Oh, it, it absolutely is a tremendous benefit in that um, the deer will be able to metabolize what they eat better. This is particularly true during the summer and late winter months when the the supplements in those minerals, keeps their gut healthy, uh, enables them to send more of their uh, food value through their gut system. And, and uh, ah. it's one of the things that I rely on very, very heavily. And Shane, pile in there because we're, we're big believers.
2: Yeah, I'm, that, uh, I'm in full – you're doing good. <laughs> I agree. Is that something – I mean – as far as a, any particular type, or do I need to get? I'm totally ignorant on on deer. I, I I wish I knew more about them. Um, but I'm it's loaded with deer, and I've got a lot of turkey and everything out here, and we just love watching them. Um, I found a lot of sheds this year, which was kind of cool. But it I'm is there any type of I mean, should I get the soil tested for the type of minerals I need, or I, I'm—I hate to be so dumb about
0: it. But Mike, I don't know
2: there's anything
0: about it. Mike. There's no dumb welcome. questions, okay? <laughs> uh, and and uh, I, I hear you. I have a lot of people ask about this, and Shane, uh, we've seen excellent, excellent results out of Trophy Rock. Uh, as a as a general rule of thumb, uh, Trophy Rock is a natural mineral salt that has a lot of the trace minerals in it and it's a great one to to go with uh, day in and day out lucky buck mineral uh shane i've used it a good bit and, and they really pound it and it's got di calcium phosphate and some other things that help antler growth that can augment a site where you use the trophy rock do you have any other Additives, shade well, that you want to talk about? Used, uh, I use trophy rock especially to
3: get them coming to it because it seems like it attracts them extremely well. Uh, and you can use that to get them coming to it, but you can also just buy bag trace minerals uh, to go along with it and they will pick out what they need.
2: Is there any place? I I mean, I've got some water near there, you know, like a, a, a creek that flows most of the time, sometimes it dries. But is there any particular area I should focus on or, or uh, just random? Is, is there like a rule of thumb per acre, how much I should put, you know, or
0: anything how many, like how many acres, How many acres is your property, Mike? 100, 120. I think if you've got three sites on that property, that's more than enough. Wouldn't you think, Shane?
3: Absolutely, yes.
0: And and I like before, to put my mineral near areas that I know the deer are frequenting for water. Uh, for example, they near have a like pond
2: trails. Like they're trails. I mean I I again I wasn't real familiar with deer, but there's like big trails. <laughs> One of them I call our deer highway. They're just you know, so if I put it around those trails, would that be a good idea?
0: Absolutely. That's what I call them anyway yep absolutely, if you got yeah. what what you're referring to as a deer highway they will absolutely smother that right away and the one thing I would encourage you to do is stay away from real low areas where too much of the minerals dispersed by runoff water from rain. I prefer yeah. little higher sites or or areas um, where uh if it's a pond that's on a high spot, for example, that's a dynamite place to to put a mineral lick and, and those things you have to refresh them about depends on your deer herd, how many deer are using it. But uh, I like to put them out now. I like to put them out again uh, in March and then refresh them whenever they seem to show the need for it. So that's a good rule of thumb. And I think something that'll, that'll help you. It's not just the deer that you're helping. If you, Uh, put trail cameras on these mineral sites, you'll see everything from coyotes and foxes and and, uh, groundhogs, squirrels, rabbits, everything needs minerals. And it's just a really good uh, adjunct to any good wildlife management program on a piece of property. You seem
2: to know everything about deer, and I seem to know nothing. But can I ask you just a general... I, I could swear that the, the fawns this year, is it common to have twins and triplet deer fawns? I, I, I can't believe how many that there seem to be always in twos or threes.
0: Is well, that typical? Yes, uh, two fawns are very, very typical. Uh, and a matter of fact, very natural. Threes are kind of a bonus, if you will. And you generally only see triples in areas where either A, the deer aren't uh, overabundant. In other words, where there's enough food and nourishment for the does to be very fertile. Or some does just seem to be exceptionally uh, capable of dropping uh, three fawns. In nature, generally speaking, the fawns are 50-50. By that, I mean... There'll be a buck and a doe. Some places it'll be two button bucks, but generally it's 50-50. However, the buck fawns have a higher mortality rate. Uh, So it's very important when you're managing deer to understand A, what the carrying capacity of your property is, and B, to understand that you're going to lose some of the buck fawns because they're more adventurous. They're more, yeah. Apt to wander away from mama, Shane. You've seen this in big, big ways on a lot of the big properties in West Kentucky. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, typically we know that we're getting our
3: management program right when when you start seeing two fawns, and uh, that, that's a good thing that we look at in management. If uh, every doe's throwing a single fawn then we know that we probably don't have the food just right or we have an overpopulation. But well, this the nature, year no. in
2: a row that was, I could have sworn I've seen triplet fa- fawns, but, and maybe I don't know what I'm talking about either, but I, it sure looked like it to me for two years. And this, this is a lot of wooded area, and it's loaded with uh, acorns, and they seem to really hit those hard. And I, you know, I think that's good for them, I guess. But um, there's a lot of acorns on on this area, and I, I think that's good for them.
0: Well, it's good for late fall and early winter. However, you could probably really profit from opening up some areas to put some food plots if you're desirous of of feeding the deer year round and and seeing more. Uh, abundance of foods, one of the things that you can do with the areas that are overgrown, if you will, is some um, judicious mowing where those plants are regenerating. Uh, Shane's an expert and can tell you a whole lot about this, but once a plant gets near the end of its growth cycle where it's trying to reproduce itself, it's less nutritious generally than it is in the growth stages. So if you can uh, keep stuff in regrowth, you're in better shape. Shane, ditto. Yeah, and well, it's,
3: the stem gets tough and a lot of the nutrients go back down to the soil and to the roots. And so if you can keep them clipped off, that's why we, like. we typically clip our perennial food plots four and five and six times a year.
2: Okay. Wow. You guys are, are awesome. I love your show, uh, Jim. I appreciate you guys have always given great advice, and I'm learning a lot. I appreciate your time.
0: Well, we, we appreciate you. That's the reason we're here. <laughs> so, so. Back at you, big guy. All right, folks, we got to go to a break. I've got Scott on hold. Scott, if you can uh, bear with us, i got to get through this break. It is presented by Mossy Oak Properties, Hart Realty. Paul Thomas is the broker there all kind of wildlife habitat areas, farms, and vacation homes for sale. You can check out his current listings or look at uh, the properties that he's moved and list your property as well at realty.com And we're back on Just Strader Outdoors. The numbers tonight, 571-8484-1800. Four 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 eighty four eighty four. And in that regard, let's go to Scott, who's been on hold. Hey, Scott, you're up. Hey, Jim, how you doing tonight? I'm doing fine, sir. I hope you're doing well.
1: I'm doing outstanding. Um, I want to thank you in advance for giving me the time to speak on behalf of my Kentucky River Beagle Club and the event that we're going to be holding on September the nineteenth.
0: Well, uh, Scott, before we get into this, I want to tell you. I want to commend you fellas for doing something for the kids. Uh, that's the whole focus of this event, and I hope the listeners will uh, key in on what you all are trying to do and accomplish because it's a very, very noble um, endeavor. And as a big club, for you all to do this, caught fire with me real quick. So the floor is yours, sir.
1: Okay, a little, little about our club. It, it started in the fall of 2017. With just a few friends and wanted to have a Beagle Club and be a part of the NKC slash ARHA Hunting Association. Started out with a few members, and uh, we're up to 37 members now. And last year was the first youth hunt, and this was decided to be done by the group, as we are a very family-oriented club. I mean, all, all kids are welcome, and we constantly try to give back to the community. And, and last year the event was a big success. We had about 30 kids and the outpouring from the community was electric last year and it has been very contagious this year and uh, the members have been excited about it and everybody's been out you know asking for donations and, and working to get stuff done. and you know, our, our, our scope is is to get kids involved in the outdoors. There's a lot of us coming up we didn't have, a whole lot of opportunity to have stuff given to us. I mean, I personally had to crawl and scratch for everything that I had. We just we want to give these kids a leg up, make it a little bit easier for them to get in the outdoors, so we can continue to grow our sport and get more young people in our sport. Um, that the day September the nineteenth, we're going to begin at ten o'clock. We're going to be at the Henry County Fairgrounds. That address is 1700 Castle Highway, Newcastle, Kentucky. This event is for youth 15 and under. And we have events for everything. We've got, uh, we're going to do a slingshot game. We've got a cakewalk format where we're giving away obviously outdoor stuff. We've got a duck pond for the smaller ones. We've got a dunking booth. We've got a bait casting game. Um, I've got Brother Steve Adams from Indian Fork Baptist Church. is going to give us about a 20, 25-minute devotional to start us off that morning so we can get right with God. We've got a fantastic inspirational speaker, Mr. Ben Medley, from here in Shelby County. And uh, if, if Ben can't inspire you with his story, then you just basically can't be inspired.
0: Tell a little bit about Ben because that really captured my imagination. What'd you say, Jim? Tell a little bit about Ben and how that has inspired my imagination.
1: Well, uh, some years ago, uh, Ben had an accident, and he's he's paralyzed about from the chest down. He got limited use of his hands, and uh He's he's a fantastic man. He the guy has got a mowing business, and he mows seventy plus yards a week. And Ben is not handicapped. He is he is a member of society that that gives and does and works just like you and I would, Jim.
0: Well, boy, you got to tip your hat to a gentleman like that, and that's going to be a great message for these these children now. Scott, one of the things that uh, I think we need to mention here, all this is free to the kids. There's no price of admission, no nothing. They, the folks, bring your kids out for a fun day, and these are the things you're going to see. Yeah, that.
1: from what we can gather, there's there's nothing else like this in the state of Kentucky. Uh, every, like you said, everything that we're doing that day is absolutely free. No cost whatsoever. We're even going to provide you lunch. It's, it's not a fancy lunch. We're just going to have oh, grilled hot dogs, right. chips, and water. And I do need to mention that uh, we've been in contact with the CDC, and we will be following all of the uh, CDC guidelines for COVID-19. You know, we'll, we'll need to our social distancing. We'll have up signs, and we'll need to wear masks and, and be in compliance there. So our, our event will be a go. Uh, rain or shine we'll we'll be having it um, well
0: it, it's going to be a really fun day for the children there's so many varieties of of uh entertainment and or participation for the kids that i, I think this is just going to be really really fabulous and, and uh hats off to you guys for doing this this is huge uh Again, what are the dates, and and how do folks get more information if they'd like to? The
1: date is September the 19th, going to be at Henry County Fairgrounds. Uh, Start time is 10 a.m. Now, in accordance with CDC guidelines, we will have to have registration of everyone that comes in there for for tracking purposes. Uh, So we will have to pre-register. So we're going to start pre-registration at 9 o'clock. And uh, you know we'll we'll pass out tickets and numbers and that will get kids set up for the games and you know we'll have our speaker and we'll we'll have some games and we'll have lunch and we'll have our inspirational speaker. We're going to have a bench show with beagles and don't worry about if the kids don't have beagles. Our club members, we're going to bring beagles. We'll have them on site and. uh, We'll have a bench show for kids. All right,
0: Scott, real quick, how do people contact you real quick?
1: You can contact me directly at area code 502-777-6216. All
0: right, and the website?
1: You can look us up on Facebook, uh, Kentucky River Beagle Club.
0: Kentucky River Beagle Club, got it got really appreciate it good luck with the event folks We got to go to break here this break is presented by smi marine go see him remember you never get soaked at smi and we're back on jim straighter outdoors and again we've been talking about food fight tonight and uh Before I dive back into that with Shane Butler, my partner at Wildlife Habitat Solutions, I want to remind everybody, Mitchell Warren, my buddy down there at Taylorsville Butcher Block, wanted me to mention he is ready, willing, and able to take your deer in starting next weekend with the early bow season. Getting those deer to a process of turkey, getting them chilled out is very, very important, so... Uh, I did want to pass that along because they'll be ready to, to take your deer. They got a cooler trailer there and they'll be glad to help you with that. Shane, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. All right, sir. I want to return to conversation when we had started earlier about cleaning up fields or, in other words, getting them ready for a future planning where you want to perhaps have successive seasons of nutrients available for your deer or, in some cases, for your plantings for warm season grasses, which have, you know, Shane, warm season grass plots have really caught fire and I'm glad they have because this is the best shot that we got at getting our small game uh, numbers back up, especially quail. There's been a tremendous amount of benefit that we've seen in localized quail populations from those grasses. So I guess one of the things I want to talk about here and take us down the road towards is I think there's going to be a shortage of mass crop this year. Uh, It'd be a stretch for me to say it was good in many areas. Uh, It's poor in some places, and it's just... Fairly good in others, so this this points to a need for supplemental food for the deer this year uh, and the turkeys. Both of them benefit from some of the same types of foods, and one of the easiest things for people to renovate fields or areas with is wheat, oats, and rye. Uh, brassicas have got a lot of publicity and are great for. Cleaning up fields where perhaps grasses were your problem. But let's take them through Mm -hmm. the prep for a a field for the uh, wheat, rye, and winter oats and talk about the importance of those. Okay, well, typically what we would do,
3: you know, I I spend a lot more time prepping ground than I'm putting in a perennial. So if I'm going to put something in a perennial stand, I want to really make sure I get it clean. And I do that with annuals, typically, or with your fall food plot and a spring food plot. And I use that to clean. Uh, Now, there are areas on pieces of property that we keep in annual plots. We never do anything different. We just rotate from a fall annual to a spring annual and back and forth. And we keep them like that. There are areas that I want a constant cover, and that's when I typically go to the clovers or alfalfas or something like that. So if I'm just growing a, an annual food plot, I don't stress near as much about the weed, the weed issues, especially a fall plot. Because in a fall plot, I can use wheat, oats, uh, winter peas, uh, the dwarf effing or turnips, something like that. And then I can even throw some crimson clover in it to come out in the spring. And typically through that winter growth period, I'm not going to have a lot of weed competition. the summer growth period is when I'm going to hit competition, so that's when I want to really make sure that I'm growing a single species that I can spray over the top and take care of those summer weeks.
0: And talk a little bit about field preparation for those types of plots. Okay, now,
3: typically I try to, I try to till as little as possible, just simply because uh, in Kentucky, we have a soil bank that's full of weed seeds anyway, and the more you till it, the more you bring to the top. That's one thing. Another thing, uh, in central Kentucky where I live, we have rolling pieces of ground uh, that are prone to erosion, and I try to keep from having to deal with ditches and fixing that back up. That being said, if you have a, if you have a nice flat piece of ground where you don't worry about erosion and where you're going to keep rotating back and forth, with a uh, an annual food plot, it doesn't matter. You can take a disc in there and work it up, feed it down, not stress over it too much, and it'll work just fine. Uh, what we try to do is, I try to spray everything down. I do a full burn down, a full kill down, and then I go back in and drill my fall plot in. And this
0: is where a lot of folks run into trouble and I've, I've done this myself, sometimes I have to do it, but drilling is preferable, again, to the soil disturbance, especially if you're trying to clean that field for a, a, a plot for next year and, and subsequent years, i.e. clover or alfalfa fields, things of that nature.
3: Yeah, and I'm I'm guilty as well of being in a hurry of, I get a piece of property, and I want this to be immaculate alfalfa like you'd see on the picture of a magazine or immaculate clover. And I get in a hurry, and I don't take the time, and I don't do adequate herbicide applications. I don't do adequate weed treatment, and then I don't have adequate results. And I see a lot of people and hear a lot of people all the time, and I'm sure you do too. uh, They talk about, well, that seed's no good. Uh, You know, that seed didn't grow like it should when actually it's probably our ground preparation that we did that we fell short on uh yes. we didn't give it a chance from the start
0: well and, and to your point that you mentioned earlier about weed growth weeds do tend to be worst in the spring and summer fall not so much so so you can get away with a uh, a very uh,
3: yeah, in the fall, you can get away with the marginal ground prep. Uh, yes. That, that, you kill down the weeds you got growing just so you can get good seed soil contact and and uh,
0: put it in the ground. Absolutely. And one of the things, again, I love the brassicas. I love all the different types of things. But for bang for buck, you know, in terms of, of uh, how much you've got invested and – Tonnage per acre, it is really hard to beat for feeding winter deer and turkeys. cereal rye grass, wheat, and or oats, and each of those is. I'm good a big fan so of both. Yeah. And, and and we like we like the mixes. but um, right. Because deer like variety. <laughs> it's kind of like well, and- you know.
3: Another thing, too, you got you got to think about. And I've heard uh, one of the guys I used to work with a lot uh, say. He said, "I like ice cream, but I don't like it every day, and I don't like the same flavor every day." So, if you give the deer something that uh, some deer are going to prefer one things over some things over another, but another big thing is, as different species mature and become available, they will pick and choose, and I know deer are browsers. That is true, but they're also uh, they're also kind of select feeders. They feed on certain species at certain times, and so by using a mix, you're gonna you're gonna give a lot of different things. That's why I like to put the wheat and oats in, but I also like to put some winter peas in, and some turnips in, and things like that. And as that comes up and becomes uh, available for the deer to browse, they will select on on different species at different times, and then. You know, they may pick down the winter peas, and then your oats is going to come out, so they're going to browse the oats. Well, while they're browsing the oats, the winter peas catch up a little bit, and then they browse the winter peas again. So you're just providing more opportunity for them to browse.
0: Absolutely. And brassicas, like turnips and radishes, are great for fertilization uh, in the soil, creating humus as they break down, and they provide a uh, tremendous uh, uh, root source, but they do not, on average, produce as much tonnage for the deer as do the wheat, oats, rye, winter peas, and other things in a mix. that do. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is, monoculture of brassicas is okay if you got a huge, huge area, but they're not the best for small areas.
3: Right, and I like to use those brassicas, those turnips and things like that. Again, that is a species that I put into a fall food plot mix. If I'm going to put them out very heavy, it is because I am targeting either a soil building uh, routine, or I am trying to get ground prepped and ready to go into a perennial plot. Yes, I, I look at the turnips. I look at the turnips more as a ground prep than I do as a deer feed.
0: Yes, and that, that's that's something we've seen through time. And, and it's great for amending the soil, and it's great for the deer to hit in late winter. But generally speaking, if you don't have a huge plot, once they get on it, they smoke it. And then they're down right. to, you know, grubbing for the bulbs and other stuff that's just not as uh, good at giving them what they need during that critical time, especially, again, in years like this, where I think we're going to have a fairly light-mast crop, which is what deer love to rely on when they can. But this is this is a year where we're looking around the corner and we're feeding them. We want them to have abundant green food all the way through winter, A, to keep their gut healthy, and B, to give them the sustenance they need to either A, grow good antlers, or B, for the those to drop healthy fawns. Right. It's not rocket scientist.
2: <laughs> That's right. This,
3: we're, uh, we're going back to feeding cattle. <laughs>
0: absolutely. A lot, I, a lot of the same ideas. A- a- absolutely. All right, folks, we got to go to a break here. This break is presented by Moss Oak Properties Heart Realty. Paul Thomas is the broker. All kind of wildlife listings and farms for sale. Check them out at M O P H A R T Realty.com. And we're back again. We're talking food plots. It's Butler, my partner with Wildlife Habitat Solutions. Shane, we got about six minutes left here. Number one, give folks the timeline of uh, when they can plant these plots for this fall. You know, what's the back door window that you feel like we'll see for, some, I know some of the plantings do better late than others, but generally speaking, when, when's the window here? Uh, I like to have everything done and finished by
3: September the 15th. That's my goal. Um, And so anytime right now.
0: um, All right. When I start. And and the ryegrass and wheat and oats could extend all the way up to the 1st of October. However, it's it's not going to get the best jump, but they are kind of an exception in that growth period, especially the ryegrass because, if it's got 55 degrees soil temperature, it rocks. <laughs> so, Right. Um, and, again, we're talking about cereal rye or annual ryegrass, not perennial <laughs> rye. Um, talk a little bit about, real quick, about prepping a plot for warm-season grass plantings for next summer. you uh, got about four minutes. Was gonna prep,
3: okay, if I were going to prep for warm-season grasses, uh, it would be really good to have a – crop planted in it and growing right now so what i would probably do is something like wheat or oats but then i would come back in in the spring uh on green up and spray it down i would wait 15 days and spray it down again and i always want two chemical applications before i put natives in the ground and uh yes. after you get it sprayed down and you'll be able to uh You'll be able to drill
0: natives in, and I like to have those done by the end of May. And there is a magic window. This is something I learned from you uh, when we teamed up here several years ago, was that you can do springs to kill undesirables all the way up into about the 1st of May in these plots because the warm season grasses aren't going to start jumping until, (laughs) generally speaking, sometime in, in late May or June.
3: Right. You're talking
0: June 15th to the end of June before they really start growing very well. So you need not, in, in average conditions, be afraid to overspray to get a good kill so that once those do come up, they can really jump and dominate the plot. Right, and then there are
3: herbicides specifically for native grasses. If you don't have a lot of forb mixed in, there are specific grass herbicides that you can actually spray over the top if you have a lot of broadleaf invasion.
0: Okay, and uh, two, four, DB emphasis on the B butyrac is exactly. an excellent one for a lot of those types of uh, invasives that we were talking about.
3: Right, and in in natives, you can spray things like uh, there's a chemical called Panoramic and then one called Plateau uh, that you can spray over the top.
0: And, again, that that can take up to what time does that cutoff happen?
3: Uh, I like to wait until the natives are are up 8 to 10 inches high, so you're looking at uh, mid to late June. You can still spray that.
0: Okay. And, and folks, here's what I'll tell you. Shane and his family grow huge acreage of warm season grasses for a living. Uh, They grow them for the seed, which they market, and they're experts at it. So what you're hearing here is not just food plot management for deer and what have you, but it's actual management for stands that are exceptional. And so this advice is just about as good as it gets i'll put it that way well shane i'd be happy to to help happy to help
3: anybody that needs help uh, we've learned we've learned a lot and a lot of what we've learned is by making mistakes and if we can prevent somebody else from making those mistakes we're glad to do it
0: absolutely tell folks how to get a hold of us
3: we hey, got Wildlife Habitat Solutions on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, our phone numbers are listed there. Feel free to give us a call. Messages, uh, messages, probably better. A lot of times we don't get to the phone as quickly as we'd like, but uh, we will get we will get right back with you. Messages,
0: absolutely. And again, folks, this is the time to get these plots rolling. And uh, if you've got any questions about what we've talked about tonight, or Anything that's got you scratching your head, don't be afraid to reach out to us. We'll be glad to help you any way we can. Shane, uh, I'll be seeing you soon. It's going to be an interesting season going forward. But it the is. Rain we got if folks get in the field, get their plots out. I think we're going to have excellent growth and, and hopefully do a whole lot to help our deer, turkeys, and other critters through the winter. So, again, folks, enjoy visiting with you tonight as always. You can check me out during the week on Facebook. That's Jim Strader Outdoors on Facebook. And uh, we'll be here next week, same time, same place. God bless, everybody.